Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. I like the old story about a young soldier and his commanding officer riding together on a train. And the only seats that were available were right across from an attractive young woman who was traveling along with her grandmother. Train rides can be long, so they talked, and they talked, and they talked. And it became obvious after not too long that the young soldier and the young woman, they kind of had a little sparkle in their eye toward one another. They were attracted towards one another. And suddenly this train, it went into a tunnel, but the lights didn't work on the train. So it became pitch black in there. And immediately everyone on this train, they heard two sounds. They heard a smack of a kiss and a whack of a slap across the face. Well, the grandmother at this point, she thinks to herself, I can't believe that this guy kissed my granddaughter. But I am so happy and so glad that she gave him the slap that he deserved. Commanding officer, he stopped and thought about it and said, I don't blame the boy for kissing the girl, but it's a shame that she missed his face and hit me instead. (laughs) And the young girl thought, I'm glad he kissed me, but I wish my grandmother wouldn't have slapped him for doing so. And as the train broke into sunlight, the soldier, he just couldn't wipe the smile off of his face because he had just seized the opportunity to kiss a pretty young girl and slap his commanding officer and get away with it. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say that this opportunity was from God. I'm not going to say that. But we do see this morning in our text that Moses... Moses, oh, he was given a tremendous opportunity. And the amazing thing is, if you look back, he almost did walk away from it. There will be, listen, there will be defining moments in in our lives that will forever change us. Moments that will inspire us. Moments that will hurt us. Moments that will change the course of our entire lives. Moses had one of these amazing moments with God. Now, we left off in chapter 7 of Acts. As you know, grab your bootstraps because we're going to walk through this pretty quickly this morning. Stay in Acts. And Stephen, if you remember, was working his way, as Reed had mentioned, through the history of Israel. Now, Stephen's message to the Sanhedrin was that God had absolutely used Abraham when Abraham lived outside of the promised land. 
God had rescued the children of promise through, if you remember, the life of Joseph. And now the children of Israel, once again, they found themselves looking for a redeemer, someone to save them from the shackles of Egypt. They had been forced into slavery, forced to let their male children, their sons, be slaughtered by being thrown into the river. And no doubt, the people at this point, they began to question, was there any hope? Was there any hope for them as a people? And then Moses, he steps onto the scene. Notice in your Bibles with me, if you would, in verse 20. At this time, reading from Acts 7, verse 20, at this time Moses was born and was, notice this phrase, well-pleasing to God. It literally means he was beautiful. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. Moses was well-pleasing to God. These are amazing words. Now, for three months, the Bible tells us that his parents hid him. But there came a time when you can only hide a baby so long. And that came. And listen to Exodus 2. Pharaoh had commanded that every son born to the Hebrews should be cast alive, if you remember, into the Nile River. Looking now at Exodus 2, starting with verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. Death for every male child by throwing them into the river. The waters of the Nile River, they represented death. His mother, she hid Moses as long as she could. But then his mother, she ran out of time. She had to do something. Now, bulrush is actually pretty big. It's, it's between 10 to 16 feet tall, and it gets around thick, uh, three inches or so thick at the base. And she took the reeds and formed them, if you will, into a little ark, kind of like Noah's Ark, really, made a little boat out of it. And she put asphalt and pitch on it, making it completely waterproof. But just to grab the emotional response once, think of the heartbreak of putting your child in this little boat. Think of the loving care. I mean, if this is your child, how much time and effort would you put into making this boat make sure that it would float? She made sure that that thing would float, hoping, just a little bit of hope here, just hoping and praying that God would somehow, some way, rescue her child Listen again to the story from Exodus chapter 2 of how God was with Moses. Here's what Exodus 2 tells us. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. And then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Look at the sovereignty of God here. Isn't this beautiful? And Pharaoh's daughter 
said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. No one could deny that the hand of God was upon Moses. Instead of facing death, he was returned to his own mother for a time, raised by the daughter of Pharaoh, where he would learn the reading, the writing, the mathematics. He had the very best education that was made available in the land. God was beginning to train up his leader. Now, the name Moses, it means, as it says here, drawing out or rescuing out of the water. If you think about it, God first, he rescued Moses. So in time, Moses would rescue God's people. In our text now in Acts 7, watch how Stephen just rapidly, like a rapid fire shot here. He just unpacks this starting in verse 21. Notice, Pharaoh's daughter brought him up as her own son, educated with the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was being brought up to one day assume the throne of Egypt. But notice the words of Stephen at the end of verse 22. Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Mighty in words and deeds. Is that what you think about when you think about Moses? What did Moses say himself at first? In Exodus 4, Moses told the Lord, he said, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servants, but what? I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. So how is this possible? How is it that Stephen could say Moses was mighty in words? And I think the simple answer is that he got better with time. (laughs) Don't you all? He got better with time. He got better. He started out as a man scared to speak, and God brought him along to the point where he was powerful. And certainly, centuries later, what do we still do? We still look, don't we? We still look to the written words of Moses that came under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Mighty words from this great, great leader. But notice how he started out with God's people. Verse 23 in your Bibles, it teaches us that when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. Hebrews 11 sheds some light on this for us. Listen to Hebrews 11. It says this, By faith Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called. See, he took a step of faith. This wasn't just a light decision. By faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy Oh, all that Egypt had to offer, the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Notice the end of this. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. Is that cool or what? You see, Moses, he had... Basically, he was one of the few people back then that had the kind of life we have now. He had a very Western life, a very spoiled life. He had a good life. But he cast it off. You see, listen, he made the choice to identify himself with the people of God. 
The decision to choose his own people over the Egyptian culture, this was a decision that was based on faith. Now, if you look at our text back in Acts, Stephen was again walking the Sanhedrin through the book of Exodus. Look at verse 24. He reminds them that when Moses saw one of his Hebrew brothers suffer wrong, it says he avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. It doesn't sound too Christian-like, does it? He struck down the Egyptian. Let's say it like this. Moses killed a guy. Moses murdered a guy. Let that get under your skin for a minute. Moses murdered a guy. Let that wrestle with your preconceived ideas about the type of man that God will use. You see, the Bible, the Bible is filled with stories of people who messed up. People like Peter. He denied Jesus three times. People like Abraham. We think of him as this great, great man of faith. But if you read Genesis, you see something else. You see, in Genesis, Abraham, he struggled in his faith. People like David, who committed adultery. And then he arranged for the death of his own friend. Don't want to be his friend. And people like Moses. Forty years, Moses lived in the desert because he didn't trust God enough to wait. Not 40 days. Not 40 months, 40 years. But then one day, God met him on the side of a mountain, and he gave Moses a second chance. And with that second chance came the salvation of an entire nation. Our God is the God of second chances, of undeserved forgiveness, of a new chance at life. Listen to Exodus 2. Exodus 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and, watch, hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Moses, if you think about it, he had the same problem every single one of us have. He got filled with a little bit of pride. He thought he could lead God's people on his own. It reminds me of the old story of a donkey. Now this donkey, he awoke one day reflecting back on the most exciting day and the most exciting story of his entire life. Never before had he felt such pride and such joy. And so he walked into town by the well to see the people again, but they didn't even notice him. And then the donkey spoke to them and said, throw your garments down. Don't you know who I am? Someone just slapped him along the tail and ordered him to move. And the donkey, he then walked off. And he thought to himself, what a bunch of miserable heathens. I mean, really? So he decided to go to the market. He thought there were people there that would remember him. 
But at the market, the same thing happened. No one paid him any attention. And then he shouted out, the palm branches, the palm branches. Where are the palm branches? Yesterday, you threw down palm branches. So hurt and confused, the donkey returned home to his mother. And he explained to her everything that had happened. And she just simply said to him, foolish child, don't you realize that without the Christ, you're just an ordinary donkey. We have this problem, don't we? We have this problem. Moses had the same problem. He got ahead of God. He saw the problem but wasn't willing to wait for God's solution, God's timing. You can see how it happened. Perhaps he thought that he was the one to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. But day after day, day after day, he had to sit there and watch the cruelty of the Egyptians. He saw his people being enslaved. He saw the daily beatings. And I believe that day after day, he prayed for God to come and show him what to do. But God was silent. God was silent. God didn't answer his prayers just yet. So what do you do? Day after day, frustration sometimes sets in, doesn't it? The frustration of not being able to do anything. It ate away at him. Until once he grew tired of waiting, he decided it was absolutely time to act. He reasoned, God has saved me, rescued me to rescue the Hebrew people from the Egyptians. So he took the matter into his own hands. And he buried the evidence. He actually went and buried the body, the evidence, because impatience with God can cause us to do some foolish things. Moses, he tried under his own power, apart from the plan of God, to deliver his people. Moses tried to deliver the people of God under his own strength, his own power, and he failed. Oh, he failed miserably, didn't he? But failure, failure isn't always the end of the story. Failure can lead to greatness. And God used this to teach Moses. God used this failure to teach Moses about following the Lord. So think of the man now, if you would. Forty years of training in Egypt. Forty years of education and training in Egypt. The best that the world could give him. But now God took him and gave Moses another 40 years to learn the ways of God. It has been rightly said that Moses, he spent 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he spent 40 years finding out he was nobody. And finally, he spent 40 years finding out what God could do with somebody who was a nobody. Moses... Moses knew killing the man was wrong. You can see that in the scriptures. It's obvious. Because in Exodus, he looked around. He starts looking around, panicking to make sure that no one was watching. And then he went and hid the body in the sand. Moses murdered a guy. But thankfully, God is a God of second chances. And the end result of Moses trying to redeem his people under his own power is right there in Exodus 14. He fled Pharaoh. He fled for his life. He ran. And back in Acts, look again to the words of Stephen in verse 25. In verse 25, speaking of Moses, he says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood. He guessed that they would understand that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Pride like our stubborn donkey. 
Moses thought he had the answers. Moses thought, Moses thought he could lead the people and that they would just see that God was using him to rescue the people. And for his part, Moses identified with the people of God, but then he got ahead of God. I think he was actually looking for an armed conflict. So verse 26 now, it tells us it was the next day when two Hebrew men were fighting and going at one another with Moses stepping in, trying to have them reconcile. It's actually a pretty brave move, isn't it? Having killed a guy the day before to jump to trying to reconcile two different guys. But look at the rejection in verse 27. Stephen pulls this straight directly from the book of Exodus. Notice now, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? You see, God, God would work through Moses. God would set apart Moses to lead the people. But not yet. Not yet. Moses failed on his own. And they knew that Moses had been raised in the house of Pharaoh, but they could spot a hypocrite just like unbelievers can today. They could spot a hypocrite a mile away. Now, don't miss verse 29 in Acts. It's subtle, but it's very good. Notice what it says. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. Now, let's work this through. Moses fled because Pharaoh wanted to kill him because of the murder. But there's a little more going on here in the text. Moses had betrayed the Egyptians. It led to the question, would he start a revolt? Would he start an uprising? Would he start a rebellion? Moses, he fled. He fled down to Midian. Right about down in the right-hand corner. And it's cutting out, so I'll let you just... Over there. That's where he fled. That is uh, modern-day Saudi Arabia, down to the east of the Sinai Peninsula. But who are the Midianites? Who were these people? Why does the Bible mention them? They were the descendants of Abraham. Believe it or not, they were the descendants of Abraham. Genesis 25 actually explains it all for us. Remember, Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was a priest in Midian. This is back in the days of Abraham. But Sarah had died already at this point. She had died. She had passed away. And Genesis 25 verse 1 tells us this. It says, Abraham again took a wife and her name was Keturah. And then notice the name. The fourth child listed in verse 2 is Midian. And then down in verse 4, we learn that Midian had his own children. But skip down to verses 5 and 6. Watch this. In Abraham, he gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. See, Abraham made it known that Isaac was absolutely going to be his rightful heir. Isaac was the heir. And by sending these other sons away, which may seem harsh to us today, but by sending these other sons away, it made sure that Isaac actually had no competition or struggles or problems with them down the road. So they settled into the east with the Midianites now coming on the scene in the book of Exodus with Jethro and his daughters. And what we see back in Acts is that Stephen was testifying that God was working on Moses in the land of Midian. 
Now Moses, let's back up and think about him for a little bit. This guy, he went from living in the palace of Pharaoh to being a shepherd in a strange land. And Exodus 2, it teaches us that over the course of time, the king of Egypt, he died. And the children of Israel, they cried out to God because of that slavery, that bondage that they were in. Back in Acts, notice how Stephen builds on this by summing up the events of Exodus 3, starting in verse 30 in your text. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. And then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and they come down to deliver, and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. So let's put this all back into context at this point. Stephen was reminding the Sanhedrin that the revelation of God to Moses happened outside of the promised land. And then notice in verse 33 that Stephen reminds these men that the Lord had told Moses to take off his sandals because the place he was standing was holy ground. So what was the message? What was the message that he was communicating? It wasn't just the temple of God in Jerusalem that was holy ground. What made it holy? It was the presence of God. It was the presence of God that made it holy. And the God of their fathers, the God of Moses, the God of Jacob, the God of all of them, had chosen Moses, hot-tempered and slow to speak, Moses, to lead the people, even though they had already rejected Moses. This was a visible manifestation of God. And Moses, he trembled before him. He didn't even dare to look. Forty more years had gone by at this point. I mean, imagine, he's now 80 years old. It took 80 years before Moses was ready. But God, God didn't forget about him. God doesn't forget about you. You may think it sometimes when you're going through those struggles and those problems in life. But God didn't forget about Moses. God had been training him, preparing him. And Moses was being handed an opportunity to serve the God of his fathers. God ordered Moses back to Egypt. Stephen begins to wrap it all up for us and drive home his point in verse 35. This Moses whom they rejected saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one God sent to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. The angel of the Lord, we're going to look more at him next week. The angel of the Lord who spoke to Moses, this was the Lord himself. Now don't miss the significance here. Both Moses and Christ were sent to deliver Israel. Both were denied. Both were rejected by the people that they were sent to save. 
And Moses, like the Christ, we are told in verse 36, he even demonstrated wonders and signs in the land of Egypt. He demonstrated him in the Red Sea. And again, how many times in the wilderness as they walked around in the wilderness? The people of Israel had been redeemed by the very power of God. They had been set free from years of bondage. Egypt Egypt then faced the judgment of God. We were talking about the judgment of God this morning in Sunday school. Well, it was Egypt's turn at this point. And the people of Israel, they began to a new life, a new life of following after God. Israel was set apart by God with a miracle after miracle after miracle. And God continued to demonstrate his passion, his love for his chosen people. Again, Stephen was showing, he was pointing to the plagues done by the hand of Moses in Egypt. He was pointing to the parting of the water and all the miracles that were done in the wilderness. And reminding these Jews that the signs done through Moses pointed to the very fact that God, God was at work. It was a physical demonstration to the Egyptians, to the Jews, and to all the people that lived throughout all the land that the God of the Hebrew people was working. Think of the beautiful comparison. Not only did Jesus, during his own ministry, his earthly ministry, perform many miracles, many signs, which the Sanhedrin, we know from the Gospels, they heard about it, they knew it. But the apostles of Christ, they came on the scene in the early parts of the book of Acts. And then Stephen himself, he continued to do these signs and wonders that God was once again working and showing himself strong, revealing himself to the people of the world. Think of what we read in Acts 6. Just a few weeks ago, we saw this in verse 8. Acts 6, it told us, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. God was working. God was working. God was giving Israel opportunities to live at peace with him. They were blind and stubborn like our donkey before him. Then notice what Stephen tells them with our last verse for this morning. Verse 37. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. It wasn't just the life of Moses that pointed to Christ. It wasn't just the life. Moses actually predicted the coming of Christ in Deuteronomy 18. Peter used this same prophecy of Christ back in Acts chapter 3. Giving us another indication, isn't it? Another indication just how much the early church understood the prophecies of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Those people knew the word of God. Let that be an example. Now, this was actually a smart thing to do at this point. The Sanhedrin had a passion for the words of Moses. I mean, if Moses said it, that was good. They had a passion for what he said. Stephen tells them, look to what Moses actually said. He not only predicted the Messiah, but notice carefully the wording used. Moses said that the prophet would be raised up by God from among the Jews. And Something else here in the text. Moses said the prophet would be like me. You see, Moses actually predicted that his own life would be a type of the coming Messiah. In other words, Stephen's saying, hey, if you don't want to listen to me, if you don't want to listen to me, then you should listen to Moses. Because Moses, he predicted the Christ. 
And Moses had long ago instructed in Deuteronomy 18. He said, him, speaking of the Christ, you shall hear. Listen to the following story, true story, that a woman wrote about something she noticed. And these are her words. Here's what she wrote. I'm going to tell you about a love story that I witness every time I go to the nursing home to see my husband who has Alzheimer's disease. Unfortunately, I know firsthand how this terrible illness affects family members. But I would like the world to know what love truly is. And she's talking about a man that she sees every day. Listen to what she wrote. I see a man who has spent the last eight years caring for his wife who has Alzheimer's. They have been married more than 50 years. He cooks and he feeds her every single bite of food that she eats. He has bathed her and dressed her every day for all these years. They have no other family. She lost a baby at birth and they have never had any more children. She writes, I cannot describe the tenderness and love that man shows for his wife. She's unable, listen, she's unable to recognize anyone, including him. The only thing that she shows any interest in are our two baby dolls that are never out of her hands. And this next part is absolutely amazing. Again, she writes, I observed him when I parked my car beside his the other day. And he sat in his old pickup truck for a few minutes. And then he sat there in the mirror, patting down what little hair he had left. He straightened his threadbare collar of his shirt and looked in the mirror for a final check before he went in to see his wife. Right, it was this, it was as if he were courting her. They have been partners all these years, fifty years. They've seen each other under all kinds of circumstances, the best and the worst. Yet he carefully groomed himself before he went to see his wife, even though she wouldn't even recognize him. Pretty, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of love. You know, in Matthew twenty four, the disciples asked Jesus in a key passage they said what is the sign of your coming Lord they wanted to know what the sign of his coming would be and Jesus said that before the second coming the love of many will grow cold meaning it's going to get worse it's going to get worse before it gets better but it's already bad enough that when we see an example like that When we see an example of unconditional love of a man for his wife, we get moved. I did. We get moved because it seems uncommon today. And that is why the message of God's grace is so appealing. It's the greatest love story ever told. We have the greatest love story ever told written down right here by God himself. See, the Jewish people, they continued to miss that love story. They missed the love of God for his people. They continued to groan and complain and mumble instead of preparing themselves for their coming Messiah. Their hearts grew cold. They demonstrated their lack of love for God by clinging to the rules and the traditions of men. 
They demonstrated that by failing to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. Moses himself, he was an imperfect man, and that's what I love about the Bible. He was an imperfect man. He got ahead of God, but he had a direct encounter with the living God. And it changed him. Moses learned to dare to forsake his own plans for God's. He learned to seek out the will of God, to surrender to the will of God, and to be fully persuaded that God will do all that he has promised. Moses became a great man of faith, one of the greatest men in the Bible, but he found himself in a desert. He could have walked away from the burning bush. Have you ever thought about that? He could have just walked away. His life was comfortable. I mean, he wasn't in Pharaoh's house anymore, but his life was still comfortable. He had a family, and he could have just continued tending to the sheep. But he stopped at that pivotal moment. He listened to God. He found his purpose in life. Sure, Moses made excuses at first, but somewhere in that conversation with the burning bush and God himself, he decided to quit living as though his purpose was to fade away in life into the sunset because he found his purpose in the love of God. It is impossible, hear me on this, it's impossible to have a great life unless you have a meaningful life. It's impossible to have a great life unless you have a meaningful life. And your life has meaning. But why? It's more than attending school. It's more than going to work. It's more than being with your friends. It's more than showing up at church. Your life has meaning when you have that intimate, close relationship with God. Moses, he tried. He tried on his own to free the people. He had a dream. Oh, he had a dream, but it was destined to fail because it was apart from God. But he learned. He learned the hard way in the school of hard knocks. He learned that unless God intervened, Pharaoh would never, ever let the people of Israel out of Egypt. And then God promised him three things. God told Moses, I'm with you. God told Moses, I will give you the right words at the right time. And he told him, I will give you the help you need. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And it starts, it starts with his unconditional love for you. It starts with his grace. He's given you the abilities. He's given you the talents and the gifts that can be used for him. It's never about earning his favor. It's never about earning his favor. It's about living in his love and living in his purpose. And so I encourage you. Have that encounter with God, knowing that he's with you every step of the way. Before we close out, I want to thank you for listening. And if you want to keep current with our studies, there's a lot of ways to make sure that you never miss another episode. You can subscribe by email. You can get our free app for your tablet or phone. You can also use the Apple Podcast app or one of the Android apps and have all of the episodes delivered right to your mobile device. You can find all of the links on our webpage, returntotheword.com, underneath the podcast tab. And if you have a minute, help us out by sharing this episode on Twitter or Facebook because by telling others, you help us to tell the world of God's amazing grace. 
Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the 